it's unbelievable. You know, it's mm -hmm. as if he's playing against children and these are world-class defenders, world-class teams. So he has that component on top of the goal scoring. And he also is a world-class passer of the ball in all, in every sense of the word, all types of strokes. He can execute, you know, delicious passing of the ball. Uh, vision and combination play is all there. So he's the full package. I mean, you can pick on him maybe for uh, defending, but again, these attacking players, just like a Ronaldo, just like a Messi, the defensive component is not necessarily their forte or their responsibility as much, frankly. But yes, they should press the ball and things of that nature, no question. But that's not where the lens is focused on attacking players. And Neymar is the full package, unlike a Ronaldo. This is the 343 Podcast, and I am Gary Kleiben. So before we get into this episode today where there was a lot of passion spilled over regarding the Euros uh, and a little bit about the three best players in the world, according to yours truly, uh, a little bit of housekeeping. First and foremost, we're back. Yes, long, long hiatus, but now we have about 30 episodes already recorded, already post-produced, and in the queue. They will be published around roughly once a week or so. Uh, most of them will be evergreen content, but there's a myriad of things there. There will be some long-form stream of consciousness sort of episodes where I'm joined by Terry Ransbury or Nick Rogers, which you'll hear in today's episode. Um, basically, we're just shooting the shit or I'm shooting the shit. Uh, I'm asked a whole bunch of questions where it's not scripted. I have no idea what I'm going to say. Uh, I have no idea what the questions are. The topic is going to be either. So. Yeah, a little, little bit of leeway would be in order there because, of course, I'm not perfect. Of course, all the holes aren't going to be plugged. Of course, you can nitpick the crap out of it. Hell, I can nitpick the crap out of it as well. But, you know, if you take issues with what I'm saying, that's cool too. It'd be great if you shot me an email, gary at 343.com, and let me know about it. Who knows? Maybe I'll have you on as a guest, and you and I can shoot the shit a little bit. So that's one type of episode. The other type of episode will be super short and incisive, two to four minutes in length. It's a lot better than me tweeting one or two or five tweets regarding a topic. I think this is a much, much better medium that affords for nuance versus Twitter. We all know what Twitter is and what Twitter isn't. So that's the purpose there. Thirdly, uh, once in a while, these are going to be a little bit more rare, but I will try to craft and smooth and polish and create something that is scripted with a lot of the holes plugged and a lot of internal consistency on evergreen content. Because what we're really interested in here and always have been interested in is evergreen content, things that stand the test of time that rarely, if ever, change in the land of football. We're not really one of those uh, who's interested in the news cycle. That's just, I don't know, current events just isn't a thing unless we can fit it into uh, some sort of evergreen context, which is, you know, what we try to do today when we talk about France, when we talk about the Euros, when we talk about the three best players in the world. And then, yeah, like I said before, I might have a guest on once in a while, maybe guest that disagrees with us, which is great. It'll be great conversation if they disagree, have a little back and forth banter. But I'm thinking more about explosive sort of disagreements. And who knows, maybe we can have a guest on like that once in a while too. All right. So there you have it. A little bit of housekeeping. Next up, you know, I'll tell you a little bit about the products that we offer because that is how we support ourselves. And then we'll off we'll go.
343 podcast, as you might know, is supported and always has been supported. All of our endeavors have been supported principally by our flagship product, which you can find at 343coaching.com. It is a coaching education platform that basically captures Brian Kleiben's trajectory as a coach. I mean, you, he's professionally mic'd up, professionally filmed uh, as he takes a group of players from the age of eight, nine years old up to matriculating them to the professional game. It's actually, it's remarkable, unprecedented work. Uh, I don't think it's ever been done before where you take such players at such a young age and lead them throughout the entire pipeline. One coach leading them throughout the entire pipeline and graduating so many of them to the professional game. Sure, you might hear of uh, situations where, uh, you know, you get a player at age 16, 17, maybe you coach them a year or two, then they become a pro. Um, I, this is just, it's not the same, guys. It's just not the same to be able to start at the very beginning, go all the way through and and just capture all of the footage. So if you're interested in that, if you're a coach and you want to learn the possession-based game, that the, the development methodology that enabled this to actually happen and develop these players. Um, you can find that at 343coaching.com. All right, everybody. We do have another product in the pipeline. Still not quite ready there because we want to make sure that everything is done right. That's what we do here is make sure everything's done right. That's at 343masterclass.com. That's for parents who want to learn the same sort of thing, okay, but from a parent uh, education perspective and what you can do for your kids as you navigate this madhouse of the American soccer ecosystem, which is quite unique with respect to or when compared to the rest of the world. It's a jungle out there, folks. And we do our best at 343masterclass.com to make sure that you afford your kids the best possibilities for their future. All right, let's get into the episode. All right, Gary, good morning. Good to see you again. Um, I liked the, um, the new topic that you put on the spreadsheet. So I want to, uh, dive into that capturing the principles behind a match like Spain v Sweden. And I thought it was kind of appropriate that Denmark, Belgium and, uh, the Germany versus France game kind of had similar, similar games, I guess you could say. And the stat sheets look similar, but each game told such a different story in, in, what kind of tactics were employed. So I want to hear your kind of breakdown on how you look at stats and what story that tells. Uh, and we can use any of those games as an example. But before that, uh, I just want to open with uh, just like a recap of, of anything that's happened in the Euro so far that you've enjoyed watching, that surprised you. Uh, and then I also want to steal a prediction from you and see if you can predict who's going to be in the final. So any anywhere you want to start? Um, yeah, the Euros have been cool. I've tried to capture or watch as many games as I can. Nowadays, uh, I'm pretty my schedule is pretty impacted, but I have seen at least a handful. And the one that really sticks out to me and that I really really enjoyed was uh, Germany versus France. Um, just the incredible technique that was on display. You know, it shouldn't be a shock to anybody really, but. After such a long period of time without international football, we tend to forget these things, you know, and even though you might watch a Barcelona or Real Madrid or a Man City and the Champions League, for some reason, international football seems to have this different 
taste in our mouths, at least my mouth. So when I watch an international team play as good as France does, it, it's just, it's, I, I enjoy it so much. Club football has a different sort of flavor. Uh, and you just know that those teams are together for such a long period of time. They train together every single day. They're together 10 months out of the year, however yeah. long it happens to be with, with other competitions. And when you have a trainer like Pep, who has the players for every day of the week for years, you kind of come to expect some sort of vintage football like, like a Man City plays. Um, but you don't come to expect to see that from an international team as much because, you know, they're not together uh, every single day. And so when you see a France play uh, with such technical ability where all the, the passes are properly weighted to the correct mm -hmm. uh, at the right time at the right everything is is picturesque man it just brings a smile to my face and so on 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 your point regarding stats i, I think i you're referring to a tweet maybe that i put out there and maybe you can remind me what were the what were the possession stats uh, france versus germany do you have those on hand I have them on hand, yes, sir. So France had 41% possession to Germany's 59. And the shots on goal were 10 uh, shots on goal for Germany, four for France. So you okay. can dive okay. in from there. Yeah, and so if you just look at the stat sheet, you would be like, oh, wow, Germany, impressive. You know, they were in control of the game. Yeah. And, and I don't know, with my filter as I was watching the match, it's just not true. Uh, France decided to relinquish possession of the football to Germany. Yes. And decided then to counter with an outrageous outlier like Mbappe uh, up top and, and cause havoc with Griezmann, Pogba, etc. Um, so, so, so if France wanted to compete on the possession uh stat or the possession baseline they sure. could absolutely compete with with germany no problem whatsoever they could equilibrate that and make it a 50 50 or they might actually be superior and hold the ball 55 percent to germany's 45 or something mm -hmm. of that nature but you know sometimes teams choose not to contest possession because they have a different game plan. Now, I want to be careful here. That does not mean that every time you see one team dominate possession over the other, that that's what's happening. Most of the time, I would say, is that the team who is dominating possession is actually imposing their superiority, imposing their will on the opponent. Yeah. And if you are superior than your opponent, well, almost naturally, by default, you are going to have more of the ball. That's just the natural order of things. And if you need an extreme case, just take, I don't know, any professional team here in the United States, for instance. Take the crappiest MLS team there is. But have them, <laughs> have them play against a college team, you know? And even though it's the shittiest MLS team ever, they are going to own the ball. You know, the college team is going to have 35 40% possession. You know, to, to the MLS's team, 60 or 65% possession. Because naturally, they are just pound for pound superior could there be some college players on that team that are better than the mls players yes maybe there is a, a player or two or three that are better that could be on the mls team no question about it but on the whole 11 v 11 the mls team is going to dominate possession so when you're watching a match like that it's not that the college team said ah 
let's let them have the ball, you know, and we're plotting and scheming to counter punch them or whatever. No, <laughs> but that's what happened with France. Okay. Yeah. And I think it's a critical skill for fans, spectators. I mean, maybe it's not a critical skill for fans and spectators who just want to enjoy the sport, but for anybody who wants to be a pundit or talk about the game in an intelligent manner, maybe a reporter who wants to have some more expertise in the sport itself outside of their expertise in writing prose, mm -hmm. outside of their expertise of uh, crafting narratives and things of that nature, then it's an important skill to have to be able to watch a game and say, okay, what's really happening here? Um, and especially for coaches, Nick, I think that's important as well. If, if then you want to go out to the field and, and be a good steward of your team and your players and your club. And we just talked about this too in the last episode, right? Is watching the games at a deeper level, trying to understand what's happening at a deeper level and passing that on to the next generation of, of soccer lovers, coaches, players, whatever. Um, but like you said, on display, in the, I, I was in a Zoom class during Germany, uh, the Germany game. And for the first 10 minutes, the ball was flying all over the place. Oh my gosh, I got excited. The ball was flying all over the place. I couldn't take my eyes off of the match. And I started to watch it, and you see that Germany was, like you said, bossing the ball, really. But it was more so France kind of let, letting them come in. Yes, we have Mbappe that we can unleash. And so my question to you is, did France have a better defensive strategy that they employed? Or was Germany just not creative enough in the attacking third? Because they were there. Germany was there in the attacking third, but they never found their way in. And was, do you think that was more designed by France or just a lack of creativity in the final third from Germany? No, well, it, it's a difficult question to answer. I mean, Yogi Love even, I'm sure, is asking himself, okay, what's the problem with my team? And this is yeah. a manager who has won the World Cup and it has outrageous experience. But if you were to ask my opinion, I well, first off, let's get something straight. Producing magic in the final third is the hardest thing in football. Okay? Yeah, absolutely. We've chatted about this on other occasions and we'll keep chatting about it. When, the other, when your opponent is putting nine to 10 men behind the ball and you're in the final third here, the density of players in the final third is so high, the pressure is so, there's very little space to exploit. Even world-class players struggle with with getting through i mean there are only a few formulas you know one formula is lightning fast combinations through the middle of the field where i mean the speed of play has to be extra planetary uh, where you have three passes within one second and you mm -hmm. slice through the center of the field and have a one-on-one -on -one with the keeper or a shot on goal or something like that that's incredibly difficult to do and is rarely seen in football i mean you've seen it with Barcelona's golden era, when you had Messi, you know, slaloming down the middle, you know, or diagonal down the middle and co combining with Dani Alves or combining with whoever the center striker happens to be at the moment, it's a quick one, two, one, two, one, two, and in shot on goal, very difficult. Mm -hmm. Or you have to go through the outsides, but e even if you're going through the outsides and having service into the box, it's still difficult because the chances of having a two V one are 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 not there as they are in, in under normal circumstances because again you have 10 men behind the ball it's always sure. like a 2v2 still or something of that nature so it's tough man it's really tough and if you're asking me about germany in particular well you don't have robert Lewandowski, you know on germany he plays for somebody else <laughs> um but that would be nice to have a central striker that that can 
punch it in somehow any way he can. And Germany doesn't have that. So I don't know. Those are my initial reactions to your question. I think the same thing. And you look at what France had on the other end with an outlier like Mbappe. I mean, I don't know if you saw, but the goal that he scored where he was offside, where he he took it inside, he he carved up two defenders, curled it around Neuer. People don't score on Neuer like that, you know, from that kind of angle. And the way that he finished that was was absolutely world class. The fact that it didn't go in because it was offside was was super sad. But in that moment, you saw the difference between the attacking players on Germany and and France. And that was just a world class finish. I mean, really, really. And it was funny. I don't know if you heard the commentators or if you were listening to Spanish or English, but they were touching on the same points that we touched about in VAR, where you have this magic moment ruined in a in a matter of. A minute because we've celebrated the highest of highs and now it's offside and it's the lowest of lows. So there's this apprehensive nature after the goals now. And I think Taylor Twelman said, you know, I'd rather celebrate the right decision than, you know, the wrong decision where the other pundit was saying, I just want a decision to be made. I don't want to have this waiting around for VAR and kind of spoiling the moment. You know, it takes away some of the magic. And I, I don't know if he heard your podcast, but um, very similar to what you were saying. But so let, so let's keep diving into that Germany and um, and France game. Two two really good teams, right? You look at that game, and uh, sorry, I meant to say the the Spain versus Sweden game, where it's two teams that are. You would think that Spain is dominating the game, should boss the ball, should score a couple goals, and Sweden hung on for dear life, uh, employed some some interesting tactics, and really held on to that game. And then you look at the stats of that game. I think I have it here, Spain versus Sweden. Sweden was, I mean, very, very, very limited in their possession. 85% to 15%. Spain, 17 shots to, to four. I mean, Spain really bossed the game, but yet Spain or Sweden was still able to, to salvage a point there. So when you look at these kind of matches, same thing with Denmark-Belgium, where it was a 2-1 finish, but the, the results of that game could have been very different. I think uh, the possession was almost square, 47 to 53 in favor of Belgium. But Denmark had some 22 shots to Belgium six. But you look at who they have in the attacking third. Kevin De Bruyne comes on the field and completely changes the game. Like you said, he's tight passes up through the midfield. He scores an, a phenomenal goal. So that attacking presence, that person, whoever it is, is so pivotal. And, and Germany just seemed like they didn't have it. Um, so I was looking at your Twitter. And a lot of people were kind of giving you some slack for your your top three players. You you chose Messi, Mbappe, and Neymar. And I saw a lot of people not necessarily disagreeing, but hey, where's this guy? Where's that guy? Where's where's this player? So I want to give you a chance to kind of solidify why those are your top three and and just bounce off any comments that that you had on Twitter. I know a lot of people were saying where was where was Ronaldo in that? Where was Holland in that? So if, I want to give you a chance to kind of validify why those are your top three. And I think the Mbappe goal against Neuer should solidify why he's in that top three. That I mean, that was completely world-class. So go ahead, defend the Twitter haters. Yeah, disclaimer first. I, I kind of don't like discussions about who's the best player in the world or what are the top 10 best players in the world or who are the FIFA yeah. ever, who's Ballon de Oro. Uh, who's the GOAT, all, all those sorts of things are kind of, in my opinion, stupid discussions yeah. because this is a team game. It is not an individual player game. Mm-hmm. And 
it depends, you know, your performance as an individual is heavily, heavily influenced with the other 10 players that you have around you. Okay. Um, if you put a, a great player, we've talked, we've touched on this before. You put a phenomenal player like a Birlo on an, on an MLS team that's shocking and Birlo's mm-hmm. not Birlo anymore. And you wouldn't be talking about, oh, this guy is like a vintage wine and he's so smooth and silky <laughs> and, and, pick, and picks you apart with his intelligence and passes. No, it's not the same Pirlo than the Pirlo who gets to play with Juventus, you know, surrounded by uh, phenomenal players or the the Pirlo that plays for Italy. Not the same thing. So that disclaimer aside, you know, that this is a team game Mm -hmm. and not an individual game. Yeah, the three guys, Messi number one, Neymar two, and Mbappe three. And it's been Messi, Neymar one, two for me for quite a while, by the way. It, it I think it comes down to, aside from the obvious outlier performances, like a Messi's in every graph is so far away from everybody, including Ronaldo in every sense of the word. When we're yeah. talking about goals per 90 minutes uh, played or assists per 90 minutes played and, you know, the things that everybody latches on to, um, what stands out is that he's world-class at everything. Not only is he a world-class goal scorer, but he's a world-class uh, passer of the ball and all kinds of passes, you know, in the air, lofted through the air, bending through the air, driven through the air, driven down low, uh, lightning fast combinations where your control has to be on point with your first touch and then your delivery of the ball. Um, world-class dribbler, you know, so that's mm-hmm. another facet of the game. I mean, you name it, the guy is world-class in every component. But then if you go to, say, a Ronaldo, and I, obviously I'm going to have people who are so, <laughs> latched on, are so latched onto their view of the game that they'll take issue with this, but that's fine. Ronaldo's a world-class outlier goal scorer. Yeah. The end. The end. <laughs> okay? But that's it. The, the yeah. end. Okay? Um, maybe in his earlier days, he had some great dribbling stuff, but a lot of that was fancy footwork and flashiness that made it look like he was spectacular at dribbling, but nowhere near what Messi is in terms of dribbling. You don't see him in tight spaces or or in any space, really, uh, just slaloming through two, three, four players, megging people, you know, making people look f- fucking silly with, with skill. And let's not even talk about passing. You know, Ronaldo is not a world-class passer of the ball in any sense of the word. And I'm not referring to what people call uh, his ego, that he always has to be the shining star. No, it has nothing to do with that. It has to do with his capacity to pass the ball. You won't see him regularly give filtered through balls, leaving you know people one-on-one with the keeper, or filtered through filtered balls of any kind, or breaking lines, you know, giving a, a not a no-look pass, but kind of deceiving you know, the defense with his body language. You won't see those sorts of things. And I mean, so for me, it's more of a one-trick pony. He is a world-class outlier goal scorer, the end. But now, Mm -hmm. if you switch to Neymar, yeah, Neymar does not necessarily score as frequently, as as consistently as uh, Ronaldo, but he's up there as kind of an outlier or top one percenter in goal scoring, no question about it. And mm-hmm. then he does have the other things. He's a world-class dribbler, inc- out 
outrageous. He does whatever he wants, whenever he wants. If he looked at the Champions League final the other the other year, I mean, you're playing against Bayern, you're playing against monsters, okay, monster defenders, and you can see that he does whatever he wants. He is not in any sense of the word intimidated and say, oh shit, here comes, you know, Goretzka on me. He, he's yeah. like, oh, please get out of my way, 15 year old. And he just blows by <laughs> you. you know? No, it, it's unbelievable. You know, it's mm-hmm. as if he's playing against children and these are world-class defenders, world-class teams. So he has that component on top of the goal scoring. And he also is a world-class passer of the ball. In all, in every sense of the word, all types of strokes, he can execute, you know, delicious passing of the ball, uh, vision and combination play is all there. So he's the full package. I mean, you can pick on him maybe for uh, defending, but again, these attacking players, just like a Ronaldo, just like a Messi, the defensive component is not necessarily their forte or their responsibility as much, frankly, but yes, they should press the ball and things of that nature. No question. But that's not where the lens is focused on attacking players. And Neymar is the full package, unlike a Ronaldo. Mbappe, world-class uh, goal scorer, goal finisher, um, athleticism off the charts. You know, he he beats everybody. I, in my opinion, he's far more um, dangerous from a, his athleticism than, and I mean direct linear athleticism. Oh, it's you know? crazy. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. He just... He just can kick the ball and just blow by you on speed alone. Um, and usually we want to talk about the physical component, but he is such an outrageous outlier in that regard that you cannot ignore that. Okay. Um, dribbling, the phenomenal dribbler, way better than Ronaldo at dribbling, tight spaces, tight control, technique, all of that. Not as good as Neymar or Messi, but he's far ahead of everybody else that I did not put in the top three. Yeah. And passing of the ball exquisite technique as well not as good as Messi and Neymar okay but he is way up there compared to the rest of the pack in my opinion and certainly above Ronaldo so that's basically the gist of for me it's clear as day uh it is like a step function where it's like there's everybody else there's everybody else and then pop these three uh, are, are above the rest and for me there's no question well, that that ends the conversation right there. If there was, would you say that there's anybody that's kind of close to jumping into that top three, or is it just like you said, boom? It's it's these three guys are in a whole another class. Yeah, for me, it's those three guys are a whole other class. There's, I I find it really difficult to find somebody who says, oh my god, they're like right there, you know, and. And you might pick, like you mentioned, a Holland or something like that. But again, Holland is a world-class goal scorer and mm-hmm. obviously has world-class physique uh, where he can just muscle people off and win headers mm-hmm. like a Lewandowski type. But again, almost like a one-trick pony. He is not a world-class passer. He is not a world-class dribbler. He is not a world-class technician. Messi, Neymar. And Mbappe is is kind of in the conversation with Messi Neymar, but Messi Neymar are world-class, outrageous outliers at all facets. Haaland isn't. Haaland is a savage animal who is a specialist at punching the ball on the goal from everywhere on the field, which is incredible. And that's yeah. why he's worth 100 million euros, okay? Um, and people, you know, if you want to talk about Lewandowski, very much in the similar light, you know, not a world-class dribbler, not a world-class dribbler, 
uh, passer of the ball, but he pun- he punishes you with his goal scoring, which is why he's an outrageous number one, number nine in the world. But he's not, for me, a top three player in the world because he doesn't have world class in every facet of the game. Okay? Yeah. And if you want to drop down into midfield or in the back line and things of that nature, I mean, okay, we won't have that discussion today. But yeah, again, it's a team. This is why it's a team game. And unfortunately, the guys who score and the guys who do all that amazing uh, stuff or, you know, steal the headlines and they kind of steal the headlines for me as well. But, you know, there's a reason because they're the, you have to, you have to score and scoring is the most important thing. And you have all these things to, to be that dangerous against the opponent. Whereas if you're a center back, you know, or an outside back or a defensive midfielder or even a central midfielder. Yeah. But you're not, you know, the opponent is not saying, Oh my God, we're playing against Virg van Dijk. <laughs> you, you know what I'm saying? Like it made the offensive players are thinking that way. Oh crap. You know, yeah, I, sure. I have to be an incredible world-class number one defender in the world or whatever, but the whole team as a whole is not game planning for the, the center back or is not game planning, you know, for other components on the field. When you have an outrageous threat, like an Mbappe coming at you, everybody's focused on Mbappe. Everybody's focused on Neymar. Everybody's focused on, messy you don't game plan for the other guys so in my book yeah i don't really want to talk about the others as being top three in the world close yeah in the euros right now obviously mbappe's bright star who are some of the other players that you're keeping your eyes on or that you enjoy watching someone that you can just enjoy the spectacle of the game are there any other players in the euro yeah not really man i I just find myself tuning in to watch I mean, well, Messi, Neymar, and are in Copa America, not Euros, okay? But I, I'll just tune in to watch France every day of the week because they have multiple guys that, you know, <laughs> give me heart emojis. I, I just, <laughs> I, I just have to tune into France. Uh, Germany, I could care less if I miss a Germany game. Pfft, yeah, yeah. I won't plan my schedule around watching Germany. I won't plan my schedule around watching uh belgium you know even though i love uh, you know a good number of their players i just won't plan my schedule around it but i'll plan my schedule around france so do you think they're going to make it to the final let's get your predictions so we can get it on camera see if you i don't know honestly i haven't even looked at how the brackets work and who would be matched up with who depending on the winners of the group because that has a lot to do with tournament of course yeah so so as we discussed previously predictions to me kind of (laughs) a silly game yeah Um, yeah. i'll just tell you who i'm rooting for i'm i'm rooting for france and spain uh, Spain is another one who I might, I might schedule uh, my day around. Um, those are the two that I want. Those are the two that I think, oh God, well, no, Italy has been looking phenomenal too, honestly. Yeah. I've, Finally, hmm. after years, they've been having yeah. a tough time. I'm rooting for Italy. I'm not going to lie. I'm yeah, rooting for Italy. It, 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 I'd be happy. I'd be happy for, I'd be happy if Italy won. I, I really would. Um, especially after missing the last World Cup. And you can maybe, maybe it's just these past handful of results. I think they've been undefeated in like 28 games. Or something yeah, like that outrageous number of games. So I'd like to think that has to do a little something with restructuring and re-engineering and, mm-hmm. and saying, what the fuck? We, how the fuck did we stay out of the World Cup? This can never happen again. Let's get rid of whatever collusion corruption nonsense dirtiness that is happening within our our structure because usually 
when teams vastly underperform relative to what they probably should be, mm-hmm. it's it's always because there's I think there's always something that's undermining um, the performance that's off the field. You know, interesting. Yeah, um, and so it looks like they may have fixed that after their catastrophe. And then I'm looking at our good old United States of America, and I, I'm, not, I'm not quite sure we've we fixed anything. But you know, we might luck out in the sense that so many players of our young players, you know, left the states to go to Europe, and they're getting a proper footballing education in Europe, and so just naturally we are going to perform better than our catastrophic uh, World Cup qualification failure from last time. Anyways, <laughs> prediction. I don't know, man. I'm gonna I'm gonna root for uh, Spain, France, and uh, and Italy, and you know I'll be happy either way. I like it. I'm gonna like pick it. France. You want me to pick one? I'm picking France. Hey, there you go. <laughs> okay, I love it. Viva la France. Um, so let's move away from the Euro. Uh, actually, one one more question in regards to the stats. Um, let's say you're the manager of a team. Wh- you're you're talking with your team after are you mentioning the stats are you bringing that up as as evidence of what happened or are there some things that you look at in the stats that you would would want to talk about with the teams whether it be possession shots on target um what are some what are the most important stats to you i know we've talked about the value or non-value of them but if it's your team and and your group what are the things that you are using to digest with the players yeah. Okay. First thing, a disclaimer. Okay. I, I have never coached at the professional level and the access to quote unquote stats that they have is different than, sure. at, the, than at the non-pro level. Yeah. It's, I mean, they'll, they'll have stats to such granularity as to say, Hey, um, your right back on average holds onto the ball for 2.2 seconds. And that is, you know, whatever, far less than what we want them to hold on to the ball for mm-hmm. one or for more. We want them to hold on to the ball for 1.5 seconds. Let's just say, I'm just throwing out stupid numbers. Okay. Sure. Sure. Um, and, and that would be suggestive of speed of play of the particular player and perhaps the team structure also, because it's not just a function of the player. And that's a, something to zoom in on and try to correct. Okay. So that disclaimer aside that I don't have that granularity of the stats. In general, I wouldn't talk about stats at all um, in, in the locker room before a game, halftime to make adjustments or nothing. It's all dependent on the game plan and maybe even on the tra- in, in, during the training week. It all depends on the game plan. If we want to play a particular way against a particular opponent and we trained to do so during the week and we structured everything to do so and it's not working out, you know, it's, it would be my responsibility along with the technical staff to kind of break down, okay, why is our game plan not working? Um, it, and there's a myriad of reasons as to why that could be. It could be he just, we got the game plan wrong, one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it could be two. No, I think we still have it right. It's just, you know, we're not executing. And so why are we not executing? Is it because our right back is holding on to the ball for 2.5 seconds when I said you need to release it in one touch to your right winger? you know, who's mm-hmm. showing in. Um, and that's what I would probably try to pinpoint with the players and with the team to make adjustments. Okay, we covered the Euros, got predictions. Uh, you have solidified your top three. I, I, I like that. That was good. Um, that's all the questions I have for you. Anything else you want to chat about? No, that's all, man. 